How many times does someone have to hurt you before you decide enough is enough? That's the exact title of an episode I did over at loveandabuse.com. Check it out if you're dealing with a situation like that. I hope you're not, but it'll be helpful if you are. Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hello, this is Paul Coliani, and I want to help you increase your emotional intelligence, handle toxic situations with grace and ease, and give you the tools to show up as your authentic self. This show consists of my personal opinions and is meant for informational purposes only. Always got to make that disclaimer just in case anyone takes me seriously. (laughs) I'm so glad you're here, and I'm going to brighten up this episode compared to the last episode, which was all about loss, loss of uh, people in your life, pets, you know, family, friends, animals, all of the uh, sentient beings that enter our lives, and even the non-sentient ones, even other things that we are hurt by when we lose them. I know people that are sad when they lose a car. I was sad. <laughs> I was sad when I lost what was it, a 99 Chrysler Concord. That was a wonderful car, so luxurious, and uh, it didn't last very long. I bought it used, and it was in great shape. All leather, nice interior, huge interior. Put a nice stereo system in it. <laughs> and uh, after a while, after about, I don't know, thousands of dollars in repairs, it finally died. And um, if you've been listening for a long time, that is the story I told on the air once where I broke down in the middle of Arizona, in the desert. I think it was in Flagstaff, Arizona, in the middle of the desert, on my way home from Sedona. And home at that time was Texas. So I had about a thousand mile trip. And in the first, what was that? Less than 50 miles the engine starts to clunk and the acceleration starts to decelerate. It starts to get laggy, I guess you could say. And after about a few minutes, I found a gas station, pulled in, filled it with gas and checked everything that I could. I'm not super mechanically inclined, so I didn't know really what to check. And I started it up and it seemed okay. I thought, okay, maybe it just needed a break. Maybe it was overheating a little bit. But uh, I only have 950 miles more to go. (laughs) So maybe I'll be fine. And uh, probably a a few minutes later, it started doing that same thing. Clunk, 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 clunk. And so I pulled off the highway and I found a service station. Not a gas station, but I guess it was sort of a mechanic. there There were people that had their cars towed there. So there were a bunch of cars. And I parked right next to one of the other cars that appeared to be waiting for service. And I thought, okay, this is it. This is the universe telling me that everything is going to be okay because I wouldn't have broken down in front of a service station unless it was going to be okay. Because I'm almost a thousand miles from home 
why would it break down here? I mean, this is great. You know, this is my thinking back then. Law of attraction in full effect. <laughs> At least that's how I thought back then. So I, I broke down right there. I mean, I stopped the car, but uh, it wasn't starting again. It wasn't going to happen. So I walked in and I talked to the mechanic. He's working on something. And I said, you know, my, my car broke down. Do you have time to look at it? He said, yes, but uh, maybe on Tuesday. Tuesday, <laughs> it was Friday, and uh, I really didn't have any money. I had enough money on, I think, gas card. I think that's what I was using, a gas card to get home. And I had a cooler full of food and drinks. So I was barely going to make it home. I, I, you know, with a gas card, I could probably make it home, no problem. But here I am, and he's telling me Tuesday. So that means I have no place to sleep. And I thought maybe I could sleep in my car for a few days. That's a ridiculous thought, but it has been done. People have done it. Why can't I do it? And then I thought, well, there's not even a store nearby. So how am I going to eat? Or am I going to go to the bathroom? I can't get into the bathroom in the service station all the time. It's going to be closed at night. But I thought, I know I can do this. I know I can do this. So that was my first thought. And then I thought, wait a minute, that's that's not a good idea. I'm going to just sit in my car for days and days and just wait. And all of this was going through my head as he's telling me he can look at it on Tuesday. And I didn't even ask the next important question, which was, okay, well, how much is it going to cost? I mean, I eventually did ask that, but he said, you know, I've got to open it up. I've got to take it apart. I've got to look at it. And that alone, just looking at it, is going to cost about uh, 600 bucks. 600 bucks? I don't have 600 bucks. I I might be able to use the gas car. I don't, I don't know what I could do. I didn't know what I was going to do. This was shortly after I filed bankruptcy. I had no credit cards. And um, I was spending the last of my money on classes that I was taking in Sedona. And I thought... Um, what am I going to do? This is crazy. I have no money. And here I am with uh, my car. And back then, I was traveling with a lot of stuff in my car because we had moved to Texas and I had stuff that I was taking from, I think, California to Texas and I had all this stuff in my car. And so, I mean, there was like $3,000 worth of stuff in my car, including the stereo system I put in there and the car itself. So I'm, I'm driving around with basically worldly possessions, including like some handmade stuff that my mom made for me. And here I am, stuck in the desert, wondering what the hell I'm going to do. This is when the anxiety stepped in. This is when I started feeling anxious. And I asked the question, um, is there any way you can just look at it today and just tell me what you think? And he goes, well, I, I don't have time today. This is just getting worse and worse. It does not feel like it's going to work out for me. And um, my anxiety is getting stronger and stronger. I'm starting to panic. We know where this is going. It, it becomes a panic attack, but I wasn't there yet. So the next thing that happens is a tow truck driver comes in. I looked at him and I thought, this is it. This is the person that's going to save me. This is the universe looking out for me, God or source or whatever. This is what's supposed to happen. This is my lesson. This is, there's, there's a lesson in here somewhere for me. And this is happening right now. I'm in the middle of it. 
I'm, I'm self-aware of the lesson that is occurring right now. So I went to the tow truck driver and I said, you know, do you know about cars? Can you look at my car? Can you listen to it? You know, can you check it out? And he goes, well, you know, I'll, I'll take a look. And I go, great. This is it. This is my moment of glory. I'm going to walk over there. He's going to find a wire, put it in place, and then I'm going to be on my way. So we start walking over and I tell him what's going on. And as we approach my car, he slows down and he goes, oh, yeah, that's, that doesn't sound good at all. And I, and I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, that sounds like something serious. I don't know if I can help you with that. There goes my hope. There goes my excitement about this being over so I can get on and not have to deal with this uh, very scary situation that I was in. I mean, it was scary to me at the time. I was just really scared. What am I going to do? I've got no money. I've got uh, a car that's not going to work. And I've got all my stuff. And I was very, very attached to stuff back then. And um, I said, well, can you look at it? So we opened the hood, and I think I tried to start it. I don't remember. And he goes, yeah, I, I, I just don't know what I can do. I don't think there's anything I can do about this. My heart sank. I felt defeated. And then my panic started. This was it. This is when my panic attack really kicked in. I felt tight. I felt sweaty. And my heart was beating out of my chest. It just felt like it was going to pop out. And it's like some people describe. It feels like, I, I think, having a heart attack. I remember Donnie Osmond saying that every time before he went on stage, uh, he said he felt like he was dying his anxiety was so bad. He was having a panic attack. He felt like he was dying before he went on stage. That's what it felt like. I felt like I was going to die, but maybe that's an exaggeration because I didn't know what was happening. It was my first panic attack ever, as far as I remember. I couldn't believe what was happening. I was so scared because this was it. If I couldn't get my car and all my stuff out of there, what then? I'm stuck. What am I going to do? Hitchhike home? And um, that's what he said. He said, yeah, nothing I can do. And uh, I was so scared. And all this time, I'd been calling my wife when I was married. I was calling her back and forth. I would go back and I'd say, you know, this happened to me. What am I going to do? And she's trying to give me some good ideas. And I'm just rejecting them because every idea involves leaving my car there with all my stuff, which basically means uh, to me sacrificing it sacrificing my stuff my my material possessions and I didn't want to do that that was way too scary I'm, I'm attached to this stuff I earned money to buy this stuff I even have the handcrafted items my mom made me this is irreplaceable I can't let that go we have to come up with a better solution and um, I would call my wife um, every time I thought there was hope and then I would call her every time I thought there was no hope. So I called her, I don't know, four or five, six times. And um, after the tow truck driver told me there was nothing he could do, that was the bottom. That was where I fell hard and the panic started. And I didn't know what to do. I called my wife. I said, I don't know what to do. And, and I, I think I was crying and I was just so damn scared that um, I was going to lose everything. And um, 
if I lost everything, that was the end. You know, I, I didn't go past that thought. If I lose everything, that's it. What what am I going to do? This is the end. This is the end, whatever that meant. But to me, uh, I had so much attachment to stuff. I wasn't a minimalist. I liked stuff. I had so much attachment that losing that felt like losing me. felt like losing who I am. And it felt like uh, losing myself, losing everything about me. That's how I identified myself with all my stuff. And if I lose my stuff, that's irreplaceable. And if it's irreplaceable, that means it's over. Whatever that means. Because I was not very cognizant of my attachment to things back then. And losing things was very scary to me. So to have this thought that I was going to lose everything created all this panic inside of me. And so, what happened next was what changed my life entirely. Even now, as I think about it, I get choked up. I think about the event, the sequence of events that occurred. But there's one single event that I, when I recall it, when I tell the story, I always tear up. I always feel like I'm not going to be able to get through it. Because if I start to tell you, or anyone that I'm telling this to, uh, it's so life-changing that it makes me feel like um, I went through such a profound spiritual experience that I can barely put it into words. I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that, where you just go through something so profound that you can barely get it out you can barely express what happened because it was it just hit you at, a, at such a deep deep level and changed your life one thing can happen in your life and your life can change here's the thing though uh, you may not be ready for it <laughs> it may happen and it might scare the hell out of you but when it when it's over you learn something valuable you learn something that changes who you are fundamentally from the ground up and when it changes you your your entire perspective of life can change and that's what happened to me the very next thing that happened was a, a thought and this is at the peak of anxiety this is at the peak of my panic what am I going to do what am I going to do this is it uh, there's nothing beyond this fear that I'm feeling I couldn't think beyond what the worst case scenario unfolding. I couldn't think beyond it. There was no beyond. It was either I got to get my car and my stuff home or nothing else. It was do or die in that moment. I couldn't get past it as far as my thought process. I could not get past it. Plus, I'm an emotional wreck, so it's very hard to think. But all my life, and this is what happens, all of our lives can stop at a fear and never go beyond that fear because our thought processes can't calculate beyond that. It can't come up with any other thoughts because we had never thought what it would be like after what we fear comes true. After what you fear comes true, what happens next? I don't want to go there. <laughs> it can't come true. It can't. I just, I, I can't let that happen. And so that's where we often are stuck. 
is we have these thought processes going on that when we have something that's very scary and we've never thought what would happen if that really happened, you know, what would we do next? What would we feel? What would we think? And are we going to be okay? We never really think beyond that because we don't want to. We don't want to face that. I mean, sometimes we do. Some There are people out there that have done this. I've taught it on the show how to go past the worst case scenario that can occur. But it all stems. Everything I'm teaching right now on my show in the past eight years or so has stemmed from what I learned in this moment, at least when it comes to facing your fears and getting past it. So back to this story. I'm standing right there with the tow truck driver and this thought comes to mind. Right at the peak of my panic, this thought comes to mind. The thought was, what if I sold my stuff? What if I could sell something to make some money? That way, I could have maybe enough money to pay the mechanic or pay for a hotel room. Maybe I have enough money in my car to make enough money to survive for the next few days. So here I am thinking, this is it. This is my lesson. (laughs) So I did ask the uh, tow truck driver, would you like to buy some tools or some other stuff that uh, that I have in my car? And he asked, what do you got? This is a glimmer of hope. What do you got? And I said, well, let me show you. We walked to the back of the car. I opened the trunk and his eyes got wide. You know, he saw the speakers. (laughs) He saw the speakers for the audio system. And I could tell he was uh, silently saying, wow, in his head. That's what I want. So I asked him about the tools and I didn't want to sell the audio equipment. I just wanted to sell some other stuff. And uh, he said, well, uh, are you selling the speakers? Are you selling the amps? Are you selling anything? And I thought, okay, uh, it's either stay here broke or sell this stuff that I'm really attached to, that I really love, that I really worked hard to get. Um, Okay, maybe I should. And I said, okay, well, how about um, X number of dollars? And uh, I forget what I said. I don't know if I said, um, you know, $500. It was something that I knew was still a partial to what I paid, but um, still enough to help me out. And he goes, oh, no, no, I, I can't afford that. He immediately said, no, I can't afford that. And even when I came down in price, it was like, oh, I'm sorry, I really can't buy anything. Oh, there it goes again, my heart sinking, my fear kicking in. And that was pretty much where I thought this isn't going to go anywhere because this guy doesn't have any money. Now, here comes the magic moment. I thought what was going to happen was that I was going to be able to sell this stuff and stay somewhere while the car got fixed. But this is where the spiritual experience happened. The thought came to my mind, why don't I just sell, and this is weird, I, I can't even believe this thought came to mind, why don't I just sell the car and everything in it, everything, for a bus ticket home? <laughs> That's what I thought. I thought, why don't I just sell this, everything here, for a bus ticket home? And I don't know why I thought that, but I just thought it. It came to my mind, and I asked this tow truck driver, would you buy the car and everything in it, all the audio, all my tools, everything, for 200 bucks? He looked at me and said, 200 bucks, seriously? I said, yeah, the, the car may not run, but when I get home, I can sign the title over to you, but I just need a bus ticket home. 
And uh, he said, um, yes. And suddenly, all my anxiety went away. In fact, I felt so much peace in that moment that this is the moment I can't express. I, I just felt the wave of anxiety disappear immediately was gone and I felt more peace in that moment than I'd ever felt in my life and I was a different person that moment changed me I said will you buy all this stuff he said yes and it was the moment I let go of my attachments it was the moment I let go of being someone who needed stuff and uh, when he said yes, I said, I'll even chip in for gas if you give me a ride to the bus station. And uh, he said, okay. <laughs> so um, I don't know what happened. I think he walked away while I made a call to my wife. And so I called my wife and she's like, oh my God, how are you doing? How are you doing? Uh, I got some more ideas. And I said, wait, 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 wait. It's fine now. I'm Okay. And she asked, what? What are you talking about? What happened? I said, everything is cool. I'm selling my car and everything in it to get a bus ticket home. Then she asked again, what? What do you mean? You're, you're selling it all? I said, yes. And I'm perfectly okay. I feel great. I feel so good knowing that I've got a bus ticket, or I'm getting one, and I'm going to be home soon. And uh, she said, Are, you're not freaking out. You're not worried. Every time you've called me, you've been, you know, so scared. And I'm been, I've been scared for you. So what's going on? I said, I can't explain it. All I know is that I feel peaceful. I feel very good about what I'm doing. I don't know what happened, but I just feel great. I feel good. She said, okay. <laughs> if that's how you feel, that's I, I'm, I'm okay with that. I want you to feel okay. I said, he's going to take me to the bus station. I'm going to get a ticket, and then I'm going to come home. She said, okay, stay in touch. <laughs> Let me know. And that's what I did. He gave me a ride to the bus station, him and his son. And um, when I got there, I bought the ticket. I said my goodbyes. I think I maybe had just a few things that I could carry with me, but everything else was gone. All those attachments in my life were gone. And uh, I let them go. In that moment, I let them go. And that letting go moment was pivotal for me. It changed me deeply. It changed me. Um, and then I thought my spiritual experience was over. But the bus ride home was quite amazing and long. It was about a 24-hour journey, and I think we had to switch buses a couple times. But that was uh, quite amazing because overnight, it was so strange. There was a guy in the back. There were people in the back you know, talking and laughing. There was a guy in the back, I think he was Native American, who started uh, chanting. <laughs> it was really wild. He started chanting. You know, oh, yeah, and he started singing. And I thought, how could this journey be any more spiritual than this? I was so 
uh, touched. I was so, it was beyond words what was happening. And um, the entire bus ride was, like I said, a very long one. I was uncomfortable at times. But to hear that chanting and to be in the space that I was in and just to go through that sort of detoxing ride home, even though it felt like I was already clear in a moment, I was clear in that one moment that I that I decided to sell everything and let it all go. I was just clear. It felt good. It made me realize that the more stuff I have, the more worries I have. The more stuff I have, the more stress I have. The more I have to be concerned about and to let it all go. Uh, just to be in the space of having nothing, there was nothing to worry about. And I made it to the bus terminal in Dallas, I think, and my wife picked me up, and um, she asked, are you okay? <laughs> and I said, I have never felt better in my life. I lost my car, I lost all my stuff, and I feel so at peace. I can't even explain it. And we went home, and I don't know, for a couple of years, I didn't have a car, and I didn't replace all that stuff. I mean, I didn't replace really most of that stuff except for some tools, which I needed. But we were a one-car family for a good period of time. And we survived it. We were fine. And that moment in time, that experience, has been what has helped shape me into the person I am today. And there's more to this story that I didn't share, which is the very beginning that I didn't share yet. And that is when uh, I was in the class in Sedona. This is like, I think the day before or two days before this event happened. There was a guy in that class that was, you know, there's some people that you see that are very light and calm and peaceful. And you look at them and go, man, I want to be like that guy. (laughs) I want to be like him. And I would talk to him and he just had a very calming energy about him. And I said, well, how do you do this? How do you be calm? How are you calm all the time? How are you peaceful inside? I said, I want to live my life as you do. You don't seem stressed. You don't seem worried. How do you do it? And he he answered the question, which I didn't expect. He said, I can't tell you how to do it. I, there's, there's no way I can just teach you this. And believe me, he said it in a very calming way. Oh, there's no way. <laughs> he said, I can't teach you this. And these are the magic words that I remember to this day. You have to have a mystical experience. I thought, a mystical experience? What does that even mean? In my mind, I was thinking this. And he said, you have to have the experience to reach a state of mind or a state of being uh, that you feel calm and peaceful. And I don't even think he used those words, but that's the gist of what I got. But the words he did use, you have to have a mystical experience, they stuck with me. And so we finished our talk, it was really quick, and uh, I just sat there reflecting. I thought, what does that mean, mystical experience? I want to have a, mix, a mystical experience. I, that's what I want. In fact, that's what I said. Okay, God or whatever's out there, I want to have a mystical experience. I think I literally said it out loud. I want to have a mystical experience because I wanted the end result so bad. 
Well, have you ever heard the phrase, be careful what you wish for? Because <laughs> that's what I wished for. I wanted something that would change my life. And I didn't know that's what I wanted. Because I just wanted to be calm. I didn't know that the experience would change my life. I just thought it would be great to feel this calmness, to have this calming energy about me, or at least inside of me. And uh, I said that. I want to have a mystical experience. That was it. I made that declaration in the universe. I want to have this. And um, again, the next day or the following day when I left Sedona, that's what happened. That was what I wished for or what I asked for. It happened. And I'm not saying there's a direct cause and effect. I'm not saying that because I asked for it, it happened. But I choose to believe that because I asked for it, it happened. Because I can't prove to you or anyone else or even myself that this is what happened. When I asked for it, this is what happened and it's a direct cause and effect. Because I'm a critical thinker. I would look at that experience and go, well, that's just a series of coincidences because your car was on the way out anyway. Sure, I can look at it practically and I can say, well, I know you realized that uh, you were going to lose your stuff, but at the same time, you made it the priority to get home and that made you feel better. I could look at it and explain it away or I could choose to believe that I got what I asked for and it changed my life because it did. It changed my life and I wanted to share this story with you because when you really want something, when you really want it, it might help to declare it, this is what I want. But never expect it to come the way you think it will come. Oh, this is great. I'm just going to take a few lessons in this and suddenly I'll be a different person. You might have to have an experience that you A, don't want, B, don't expect, and C, might be out of your control because the wheels were set in motion. Again, my belief. This is what I believe happened to me because that belief serves me. It actually serves me to have a belief that when I'm serious about change, that when I ask for that change, that change will have a serious effect on my life and may show up in a way that uh, I'm totally unprepared for, but changes my life. And so this has been a good reminder. Every time I'm going through life, or I feel like something needs to change, then I remember that moment that did change my life and ask myself, do I want to have that kind of experience again? Scary as hell, but best outcome ever. <laughs> or... Should I really work at this? Should I really be conscious and cognizant of the steps I need to take? Should I do the work or have it done for me? Because having it done for me is going to give me something that will feel like a punch in the gut, but with the most amazing outcome, which I'm totally open to. You know, If that's what it takes to get into a better space, I'm totally open to it. But I think I would rather work at it. <laughs> I think I would rather take a path of learning, growing, healing, and evolving that I choose instead of having it chosen for me. So I don't know 
if this is helpful for you. I just haven't told this story in a long time, and I wanted to share this with you just in case it was helpful. The biggest lesson for me in that whole thing was my attachment to stuff. If you can wear your favorite jacket out and somebody comes up to you and says, wow, I love that jacket. It is so beautiful. I would give anything to have a jacket like that. And you can look at them and say, well, let's see if it fits. And they think, what? What are you saying? And you take it off and it fits them. And if you can say, you can have it. You can have this jacket. If you're in that space, your favorite jacket becomes their favorite jacket, you probably don't have the attachment to stuff that I did. (laughs) You are probably more evolved than I was at that time. Now, I wouldn't have a problem with that. I almost gave my jacket to someone. That's why that story comes to mind, is that sometimes you're in a position where you have something that someone else doesn't, and you're okay just giving it to them. I'm not saying that you should do this. I'm not saying that you're wrong if you don't. I think the feeling has to hit you when it happens. If somebody came along and said, hey, I really like your jacket and uh, I wish I had one, but I didn't get the feeling like I should give it to them, then I'm probably not going to. I like this jacket too. I want to keep it. (laughs) But there are times when people come along and you just get this feeling like, wow, I would really like to do something for this person and when that feeling hits it's a choice and it should always be a choice it shouldn't be something that you do out of guilt if you don't I think that's a bad time to make a choice like well if I don't do it I'll feel guilty I don't think that's a good idea to make a choice out of feeling of guilt but you might have a feeling one day that you want to give and it feels good to give and you do it. So maybe this is helpful for somebody out there that has a challenge with attachments. Or maybe it's a story for someone that has uh, trouble giving. I don't know. But maybe it's a- another story for something else. There's probably something in here that helps you in some way. And if there's not, I hope you enjoyed the story. <laughs> it was real. It actually happened to me. But it is the story of my life, or at least one part of it. And it was a powerful part of my life. It changed everything, like I said. So be careful what you wish for. (laughs) Be careful what you want. And know that if you really want something, take the steps to get it. Otherwise, uh, something could happen in your life that you don't want to happen. And you might be better off if you work at it and learn the process and go through it. Or if you're a quick learner and you don't mind a huge challenge that will make you face things that you don't want to face, it could be an immediate change. But it is scary, and I'm not saying I don't recommend that method either. I think both methods are super valuable. Uh, It's just that it's nice to be more prepared and more involved in the process of change. (laughs) But if you want it, Just ask for it. See what happens. I'll be right back.
Well, there's something else I asked for that I got, and that is Monk Pack, M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K. Monk Pack is a low-sugar, keto-friendly bar, which are plant-based, gluten-free, and non-GMO. They're the perfect snack for anyone who is trying to eat better or cut back on sugar and carbs without sacrificing taste. I received a bunch of flavors like sea salt, dark chocolate, coconut, cocoa chip, and caramel sea salt. And these have been so helpful, especially recently. I've been taking my girlfriend to um, an oral surgeon to have some work done in her mouth. And sometimes I have to wait. Sometimes I have to wait. And uh, I'll look at my phone, I'll look at my emails, and then I'll get hungry. And it's so nice to have a healthy bar with one of my favorite features, practically no sugar. In fact, there are no sugar alcohols, soy, or artificial colors. And this isn't just for people that uh, have a keto diet. They're great for anyone looking to reduce their sugar intake while still enjoying something delicious. In fact, I didn't expect what I'd get when I bit into their soft and chewy bar. And it reminds you of a sugary snack from childhood, but it tastes better than any other bar. It's got a clean ingredient list, simple ingredients, and uh, no intense sweetener or aftertaste that is common with low-sugar items. So I want you to check them out. Go to monkpack.com. Watch that spelling, M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com. And when you're checking out, use the code BRAIN at checkout. That'll give you the 20% off your first purchase. That's monkpack, M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com. Use the code BRAIN so you can get the 20% off. And Monkpack is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. If you don't like it for any reason, they'll exchange it or refund your money, whichever you prefer. You will thank me after your first bite. And I want to tell you about another sponsor of today's episode, BetterHelp. I love sharing BetterHelp with you. You know, I was talking about anxiety when I was in the desert. I wonder what would have happened if I had BetterHelp. I wonder if they could have helped me through it and see things differently and feel differently because not everyone's going to have the experience I had. Not everyone's going to be able to get through it. And some people don't want to take that massive step to find out what happens when the fear comes true. So it would be helpful to have someone to talk to about it. And uh, BetterHelp is a fantastic resource for you because they are a customized online therapy that offers a phone support option, video support, and even live chat sessions so that you don't even have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. BetterHelp can help you with depression and stress and anxiety and relationships and sleeping and trauma and anger issues, family conflicts, which are always tricky. They are convenient, professional, affordable, and everything you share is confidential. They have a broad range of expertise that's available. And I've heard from many, many people who have used the service that they love it. They thank me for introducing them to it, and they are grateful that they have it. And I believe you will be too if you are looking for guidance or help through the challenges or stressors that you're experiencing. Head over to betterhelp.com forward slash brain and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com forward slash brain. They want you to live a happier life. I want you to live a happier life. And as a listener of this show, you'll get 10% off your first month. BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash brain. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Welcome back. I would like to highlight something I said in the last segment, and I 
just breezed by it, and that is about what serves you. I live by the philosophy or the question, does this serve me? And serve can mean a number of things, but to me, does it serve me means does it work for me? Is this something that works in my life? Is it valid for me? Does it make me feel good? Or if not good, uh, do I know it's the right thing at a deeper level? I think that question, does this serve me? Like, does this belief serve me? Does this perception serve me? Uh, does what I'm doing serve me? And you can even expand it. Does it serve the people I love? And we can look at it as serve yourself first, then serve the people you love. So we can make sure that we can continue serving the people we love. But most of the time, it starts with us. Most of the time, it is asking yourself a question similar to, does this serve me or does this work for me? So in my story in the last segment, I can ask that question about many different things that happened to me during that time. Does selling my car and all this stuff serve me? At the time, I was scared, and uh, if I could find another way to do it, I would do it. But if I were to ask that question at that time, if I had the wherewithal to ask that question, does this serve me? Does selling my car and everything in my car serve me? And that to me is a bigger picture question. That to me is a greater good question. Does it serve me? Well, if I sold my car and I sold all the contents and I got a bus ticket home, wow, uh, I guess being home would be serving me. It would take me out of this situation. It does feel like it is uh, prioritizing, but in a way, it is a quick method to get straight to the point of what would be the best path to take. And, and maybe it's not the best path, but let's just say it is. Let's just say that does this serve me uh, reveals the best path to take. And answering that question does cause you to dive a little deeper inside of you. Because it's not saying specifically how it serves you, but somehow it gets to the point without getting to the point. Does this serve me? Does selling my car and all the contents serve me? Yeah, it does. And when I think about not having those in my life anymore, and this is kind of a follow-up question, how do I feel now that it has occurred? And this is something you might play in your mind. Does this serve me or would this decision serve me? Would this belief serve me? So you think about that. You go through the questioning process in your mind. And then after you come up with an answer, you ask yourself something like, uh, how do I feel now that it is done or now that I have completed this process or made this decision or made the move? How do I feel now imagining that I did all of that? That's the follow-up question. So you're imagining making a decision and also imagining how you feel after that decision. How does that feel way inside? Does it feel okay? Are you in a good space with it? And it might be a hard decision. You might make a hard decision that could be painful. 
There could be some emotional pain. It could be that fear wall that you might hit that I was talking about in the last segment. There's a wall of fear that could be ahead of you and you don't want to know what's on the other side and you might have a belief that getting over that wall of fear means something worse. But does it really? Is it worse than your worst fear? At least a conscious worst fear. What I've learned over the years is that the wall of fear that we often don't want to climb over has peace on the other side of it. Not always. I'm not saying that this is always how it is, but in my life, every time I've tested this, every time I've decided to climb over that wall of fear to find out what's worse than that, I found peace. It may not have been like, quote, peace, but it was certainly something that took me out of the fear because there's a point where the fear is so strong and the worry and the concern and all these mixed emotions, like a buildup of a panic attack, all of this stuff builds up, just like I felt in the desert that day, where it might feel like you're going to die, it might feel like you're going to have a heart attack, yet what's beyond that? What's past it? What happens when it all comes true? Well, one of the things I've learned is that when everything you fear comes true, you don't fear it anymore the fear changes or disappears because fear is the anticipation of something that you don't want happening happening it's all that anticipation building up and scaring the crap out of you and then it builds up some more and it continues building up because you anticipate something happening and you don't want it to so the resistance to it happening also amplifies the fear what you resist persists and amplifies and that continues to build and the wall of fear is so high and you don't want to climb over it because if you climb over it our imagination takes us to an even worse place but what ends up happening quite often is when it does all come true there is no more to fear at least what you had been fearing is not there anymore this is the buildup of anxiety and panic and all the mixed emotions, concern and worry and fear and whatever else is in there, all of it builds up and then gets broken down when it all comes true. Or, as you may know, when it all goes away, when it doesn't come true, when it's nothing at all, when all your fear was unfounded. It can turn out that you didn't need to be fearful because it didn't manifest. So now you have all this fear collapsing and now you feel better. What's interesting about this concept is that every time I've gone through it, when it collapsed, when it didn't come true, it was a relief. But in my experience, the relief of the collapse was always less intense and gave me less closure than when the fear actually came true and I reached the other side. I always look at panic or anxiety as having a peak. We never want to reach that peak and find out what happens if we do. What, you know, what is beyond the peak? Because if we do that, we think that it's going to get worse. 
And I'm not saying it never does. I'm just saying that from what I've seen over and over again, what's beyond panic is some sort of breakthrough. It's some sort of relief. Often it's closure instead of some sort of collapse like you might experience if it never came true. I don't want it to come true. Of course not. I don't want this to happen to you. You don't want it, of course. But it can and it does. And when it does, you find out just how much time and energy you've invested into a fear that once the fear disappeared because it finally happened, because there's nothing more to anticipate, you realize that imagining the worst case scenario took more of your energy and the space in your brain than the scenario actually coming true, if that makes sense. You've put a lot of energy into imagining what would happen. And I'm not saying that you should let the worst case scenario happen. I'm just saying that you will survive. You will get through it. You can survive almost anything somebody throws at you, unless you don't. (laughs) What I mean by that is you could survive just about anything that someone throws at you. And if you don't, Let's just say that you don't survive. Let's go to the worst case scenario. Let's just say that somebody throws something at you, you know, proverbially speaking, that they're throwing some challenge at you and you don't survive. You literally die. Well, if that happens, you won't know you didn't survive. (laughs) You won't know what happened unless you have a belief that tells you that you'll know what happened to you and that's fine too. But once you're past that point, In this plane of existence, in this reality, on this earth, you won't have the same experience as if you were alive. And what I mean by that is that when you survive, you will have another foundational block, something that continues to build your base and make it stronger, keeping you level, keeping you grounded because you survived. And so, of course, what you're reading in between the lines probably already is what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. It's true. And I'm not saying that works in every case. I'm not a 100% guy. (laughs) I don't believe in something 100%, but I believe it until it's not true anymore. This is why I like to ask, does this serve me? Because when I answer the question, does this serve me, and I come up with an answer that I'm very sure about, I might be 100% sure in that moment but it doesn't mean I carry that 100% with me if new information comes my way. Because I believe we all have the ability to choose every time. Just like you're in a relationship and you can ask yourself, does this relationship serve me? Yeah, it makes me feel good. Um, I get some needs met or I get a lot of needs met. Uh, I find them wonderful to be around. So yeah, it serves me. I love it. Well, is it going to serve you in five years? You might say, yeah, I mean, as long as nothing changes, this is great. But if something comes along and changes it, then it may not serve me anymore. So you can have 100% surety that this relationship serves you today, but you may change your mind later. And you've got to give yourself permission to do that, in my opinion. I think you should give yourself permission to ask yourself the same question. Does this situation or relationship or environment or whatever continue to serve me? Is this something that continues to work for me? And be okay with the answer, even if you don't like it. Because uh, you get these gut feelings. You might think to yourself, you know, I'm just not feeling it anymore. doesn't mean you just get up and leave. It might mean you have a conversation about it. 
It might mean you reflect. It might mean you think about alternatives or think about how you can enjoy it no matter what. So there can be a lot to think about, to contemplate, to process in your mind when you have a question like, does it serve me? And in my experience, it has helped expose a deeper truth for me. Because what serves you may not serve other people, but if it serves you, then what ends up happening is you find other people that support you serving yourself. That's not a selfish comment. It just means when you serve yourself, people who love you want you to serve yourself, to honor yourself, to follow the path that you want. And the people who are against you serving yourself or honoring yourself, they have a different uh, agenda in mind. They may not want you to change so that they can continue keeping you in their life to serve them. That sounds harsh, that sounds cold, that sounds unfair, and maybe in some cases it is. I, I know, you know, if my girlfriend said, you know, this relationship doesn't serve me anymore, I would certainly have a conversation, I would ask her questions. She might say, you don't serve me anymore. Uh, of course, we would never use these words in the conversation. We're not going to use the word serve. We're going to say, you know, this isn't working or something isn't working. We're going to talk about it. But in the end, if it turns out that it's true, this relationship doesn't serve her or I don't serve her, I'm not right for her, it's, I'm not working for her, and we can't come to a, a, an agreement or a, find some sort of compromise or balance somewhere, then I'm going to support her getting out of the relationship. You may think, Paul, that's not true. You're not just going to say, I support you getting out of the relationship. I wouldn't say that, no. It would be painful as hell, but I would certainly support her following the path that works for her because if I don't support that and I want her to stay in a relationship that she's not happy in, then I am choosing to be in a relationship with someone who doesn't love me. That is self-torture. That is me causing my own suffering. I don't want to suffer and I don't want her to suffer. I want her to find happiness. And if her happiness isn't with me, I'm not going to torture myself with somebody who isn't happy with me. Again, that might sound cold. It might sound heartless. But I think it's one of the most loving things you can do for someone is to support the path they want to take, even if you disagree with that path. People who know my teachings and know what I talk about on the air will say, Paul, that sounds like your definition of love. Absolutely. It is absolutely my definition of love. When you support someone's path to happiness, even if you disagree with that path, and even if it doesn't serve you, that is love. That is loving someone to the fullest. Because what's going to happen, let's just say my girlfriend leaves and I say, you know what, if that's what you need to do, I support it. It kills me because I love you. My feelings for you haven't changed. But if you can't be around me and you can't be happy, I will support that. And then we break up and we sell the house and split the profit or whatever. And she goes her way and I go my way. I'm in pain. I'm probably sad for a long time. Maybe she is too. I don't know. But I guarantee you she's going to have a good feeling, a good memory of me. She's going to remember me as someone that supported her even when it didn't serve me. 
And that, I believe, is the definition of love. When you can do that for someone and you don't benefit from it because you realize that supporting their path is a loving gesture. It's almost unconditional love. I don't know if that's ever true, but maybe with kids it is. But it's almost the closest thing that I've been able to come to, unconditional love. But I do have conditions in this show, and that's the time restraints. (laughs) Because this episode is ending, I want to come to the conclusion of this segment because it serves both of us. I appreciate you, and I hope it benefits you greatly. Good to connect with you today. I'm going to come back, say my thank yous and my goodbyes and my final words right after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank our sponsors today, MonkPack, M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com. Go there and get 20% off your first purchase of any MonkPack product by visiting MonkPack.com. Make sure to use the code BRAIN at checkout to get that 20% off. I also want to thank BetterHelp. Go to BetterHelp.com forward slash brain and get the support you need if you're looking for one-on-one guidance where you don't even have to leave your house. You can just reach out through email, chat, and video, and phone. They're there to help you. BetterHelp.com forward slash brain and you'll get 10% off your first month. And I'd like to thank the patrons of the week. These are the financial backers of the show. Andre, I think I said that right. I had to look it up. Andre, (laughs) you're new. So wonderful to have you on board. Thank you for your support. Janet, you're new. Wonderful to have you. Thank you to Victoria, Tracy, Anne-Marie, Kayla, Christy, Fuang, Andres. I don't know if I've pronounced that. Wonderful to have you on board. Walter, good to see you again. Leela, Christy, Adriana, Julia, I think you're Coolia, Anna, Holly, Veronica, Vanessa, Linda, and Deborah. Good to see all of you financial supporters of the show. These are what I call the patrons of the week. I like to read names every week and uh, they find value in the show and they want to give back and I welcome it. (laughs) I think it's wonderful. I hope they believe they're supporting a good cause and it serves them. If this show serves you and you want to give back, if you're in a position to do so, head over to moretob.com where you have that option. Thank you patrons. I appreciate you. And I have another show called Love and Abuse. I mentioned it at the very beginning. It's a show on how to deal with difficult relationships. Visit loveandabuse.com and you can learn all about that. If you believe you're the difficult one in the relationship and you know it's not serving you or anyone you love, head over to healedbeing.com where I help people that hurt others stop hurting them. If you've learned that you have emotionally harmful behavior and you want to stop that, healedbeing.com is the path for you. Finally, thanks to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. And for my final words, I'm going to address something that came into my inbox a while back, and it has to do with uh, closure and perhaps something called stonewalling, where somebody just walks away or ignores something that you want to address They just put a stone wall between you, symbolically speaking, and they tell you to talk to the hand and that's it. 
while you feel like you need closure, you feel like you need to continue talking about it, and they don't want to. There's a person that wrote to me and said, um, I seem to live around people who don't want to discuss anything. If any bad event or hurtful thing has been said, they just want to move on. They don't want to apologize. They don't want to talk it out to see what happened or how we can prevent it again. They just want to paint over it as if it never happened. My parents, my sister, my husband, it seems so strange to me that people can have so much conflict and be hurtful and then not talk about it. I am of the thinking that I am willing to apologize, willing to accept the part that I have played, and uh, I'm ready to admit my own wrongdoing, but I get nothing back. Crickets. The worst is my sister, who doesn't even want to hear my apology, probably so she can stay upset at me, or when she said one time she's ready to talk, but then never did actually talk, and then told me it's fine and she doesn't want to talk anymore. But it has led to many, many years of conflict and no resolution. This is sad to me, and I guess my question in a nutshell is, what do you do if people don't want to sort out the conflict and just want to forget it? Yeah, I get it. I totally get it. You're in a situation where people are avoiding issues. They are probably very good conflict-averse people. They don't want to deal with conflict. They can't stand it, and they might be, and I'm just making guesses here, they might be big deniers. They, don't, they go into denial if there's pain involved, if there's truths that will be revealed. They don't want to go there. So they deny it. They just pretend that it never happened and put on a smile and move forward. There are people like that that have uh, big issues, big challenges, big conflicts, and they believe that moving forward is the way to not have to deal with those things, and hopefully they'll just disappear. I've seen that in many people, in myself. I often hoped that what just happened would just disappear. I don't want to deal with that. Let's just hope it disappears. My mom is a professional (laughs) denier. She knows how to do this very well, or she knew. Um, I think she's getting better at it, finally, in her 70s. But uh, she will not want to talk about things uh, and will change the subject right away. Fortunately, between my mom and I, there's not conflict, but uh, if there's something hard for her to talk about, she won't do it because it's just too painful. It's just too hard to talk about. She doesn't want to be, I guess, in that vulnerable space because I've talked to my mom and I said, hey, no, it's okay to talk about this. And she'll say, no, no, no. How how are you doing? That's what she'll say. How are you? What's going on in your life? She'll redirect it. I'll say, mom, you know, you were just about to tell me something. Go ahead and tell me. And she'll go, well, well, this happened. And then she'll start crying. And then she'll say, I'm sorry I'm crying. You know, I don't want to cry. And I'll tell her, Mom, it's okay. It's okay. It sounds like something that it really affected you. So I want to know about it. And if it causes you to cry, then that's what you have to do. You have to cry and just let it out. And then she will. She'll cry a bit and she'll get her composure back and then she'll change the subject again. But she almost goes there. She almost gets deep enough to where whatever's in there is being accessed. She's connecting with it. So that can be tough for some people. If there's deep pain, there might be deep fear that that pain will be accessed and they don't want to go there. It's scary to them. And if they have a fear of conflict or confrontation, that doubles it, makes it worse. I don't want to confront and I don't want to deal with my pain. 
So there's a huge level of putting on that fake smile, putting on denial, so that they can just move forward. But what do you do with those people? If you're not that type of person, you want to talk about it, and they don't, what do you do? There, there might not be anything you can do. Because if somebody's not ready to go there, you pushing them could make them resentful. It could make them not want to talk to you anymore. You might go up and say, let's just hash this out. Let's get it out in the open. Let's put it on the table. This is actually what I would do. Let's put it all on the table. Tell me what's on your mind. And if they say, well, no, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to deal with it. It's fine. I'm okay now. I don't want to deal with it. Here's what I would do. You know, If that's what happened, because I'm the kind of guy who does want to talk about things because I hate unresolved issues and I want to resolve them because I don't want any bad blood between us. I will say, let's just put it on the table. You know, Tell me what's on your mind. Be honest. It's okay. Let's just get this out. Sometimes I'll get a response and sometimes, no, 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 it's fine. I don't want to deal with that. Okay, so if they go there, what's your next step? Well, I can tell you my next step. My next step would be, you know what? I get it. I understand completely. If you ever want to talk about this, I'm open. I'm here. I'm willing to talk about that. If you don't want to talk about this now, I'm perfectly okay with that. This does two things. First thing it does is it makes them feel safe with you. I think that's your first step. You have to establish a safe zone for them. They have to know you're safe. Because if they know you're safe, then they might open up to you. Maybe not then, but maybe later. Or maybe not, but... What you're doing is you're establishing this safe place for them to be themselves. You're not coming at them. You're not being the aggressor. You're not putting them on the defense. You're just making it safe for them to express themselves. Hey, if you ever want to talk, I'm open. I'm here. You know, you can even go further and say, it's been tough. We've had our challenges, but I'm open to discussing those. And I just want to let you know that if you want to then I would love to. I would love to have that conversation. So you establish that safe place so that they know you're not there to prove them wrong or call them a bad name. You're just telling them, I'm ready to talk if you are when you are. Okay, so there's the first reason you do that, is that you're establishing a safe zone for them to speak their mind. And they may not take advantage of it. You just have to put that out there and maybe they will, maybe they won't. The second reason you do this is that it passes the baton. Because up to now, you've held on to the lack of closure. And you think, well, what else can I do? How can I get it out of them? I want to talk about this. I want to resolve this now. So you're holding the baton. The, The baton is just, you've got the problem in your hand. You need to get rid of that problem. You know, give yourself some closure by telling them, when you're ready to talk about it, I'm here. So this establishes closure to you. It may not be full closure, but it's good enough for you to move on. You've passed the baton or hit the ball back to their side of the court, and now it's up to them to hit it back to you. This is closure, or at least the closest you're going to get to closure is by giving them the baton and telling them, When you're ready, I'm here. This helps you reach closure inside yourself. Because now 
you don't have to hold on to the question of when they're going to come to you and talk to you. You might have that question in your mind, but you don't have to hold on to it anymore. It's not um, an open loop. You are giving yourself a way to feel good knowing it's now in their court and they're going to serve it back if and when they're ever ready. And they may never be ready. And it's okay to be okay about that. Or at least if you're not okay, be okay with that because you've done your part. This is the same way I see apologies. When you apologize, you say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that, it was wrong, it was stupid, or whatever words you have. But I am so, so sorry, and I wish I had never done that, and I promise it will never happen again. I, I wish I could take it all back. That kind of apology has no strings attached. That's the kind of baton passing I like. You pass the baton with no strings attached. An apology with no strings attached is one that doesn't ask for something in return. Here's an example of one with strings attached. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Just tell me you're okay and uh, we're not going to fight anymore. Just tell me we can get past this. There's so much attached to that apology that it takes away the validity and importance of the apology. Please forgive me. Please, please, please. That is forcing someone to make a decision when they're still in this state of mind where they don't even know what the relationship is like anymore. They don't know where they're going to go with this. They're still processing, probably. And because of that, it's best for you to apologize with no strings attached. I am so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. It was stupid. And I just hope you're okay. Or something like that. But you're not asking for anything. So that's how I see reaching closure with things. You've made your apology and then you move on. You've done your part. You shouldn't have to apologize over and over again. Unless it's a deep betrayal. <laughs> if it's a deep betrayal like infidelity or something similar, then you might have to apologize for a while. You might have to be that dog walking around with the tail between the legs so that you suffer the consequences a bit. I talk about that in episodes about infidelity and such, but a typical apology is going to be, I am so sorry, and when you say it, you mean it, it's heartfelt, and if it's a real apology, you only need to say it once. That's my opinion. And again, it, this doesn't count in every case. There are some cases where you've done something so rotten to them that you might have to apologize a few times, and you might have to apologize for months every time they want it. <laughs> that might be what it takes, but in general, an apology with no strings attached and not repeated over and over again because it gets old, they get desensitized to it. If you apologize too much, they're not going to take it as authentic anymore. That's why you should say it once and mean it. And then when you say it'll never happen again, you mean that too. <laughs> I probably don't have to tell you that, but that is something that if you follow it, then I believe you're serving both of you well. So to this person who wrote, those are my thoughts, those are my insights. When you're with somebody who doesn't want to deal with conflict and doesn't want to talk about things, you say, no problem, I'm here when you're ready. That way you've passed it on. And if they ever come back and say, well, you didn't want to talk to me, you can say, look, I'm ready to talk now, let's do it. Because some people like to turn things around on you, I get it. Some people like to make it about you, make it your fault. And, um, well, sometimes that's the case. Sometimes they believe it's your fault. But you got to be open. And hopefully 
you don't become too defensive and you are open and you practice your listening skills and you keep that safe zone safe. Because if they do open up and they become vulnerable with you and then they get mad at you and they call you names, can you keep it safe? Because if you can, you will help them release all the pressure they've been holding on to. They get angry and they call you names and they blame you for things and they're saying things that you know aren't true. Can you keep that safe zone safe? And that just means don't lash back at them. Don't defend yourself. Just let them exhaust it all. Let them vent. I'm not saying that you should do this in every single case all the time. I'm just saying that when there's been conflict for so long, this might be what you need to do. Or maybe there's a a deep hurt or deep resentment that needs to come out and they just want you to hear it all. And that can be the way to do it. Just let them vent. It may work. It may help you both reach a new level, a new understanding, a new feeling. It might help you feel better with each other. So there's my random thoughts. <laughs> I'm a little very specific about this, but Random Thoughts for the Moment by Paul Coliani. Good to have you here. Thanks for joining me today. Always keep an open mind because that's what helps you step into your power. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. Amazing.